2020, a rough year for so many of us. For the family of a young man named Devin Noring, it was really tragic. And what makes Devin's story especially devastating is that it was 100% preventable. Aren't those the worst? Devin was a teenager. He was growing up in my hometown, Hastings, Minnesota. And not long after he turned 19, Devin began experiencing severe migraines. And then as he was having the severe migraines, he also had some cracking happening in his teeth. Had that happen once. That is so painful. So he had just got an MRI scheduled for the migraines. He had just gotten an appointment scheduled for the dentist. What year was it? 2020. Just as the pandemic hit. So everything got canceled. So Devin, with all this pain that he's going through, he said, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. He was 19 at the time. And so he went on Snapchat and he got what he thought was Percocet. And on the afternoon of April 4th, 2020, his younger brother came into his room, found his older brother unconscious, and Devin never woke up. The pill that he thought was Percocet wasn't. Devin's story is just one of many stories. Um, You can go online if you Google when one pill kills. There's this whole list, whole list of, of names there. And when these types of tragedies happen, what do people love to do? They love to point fingers. They're like, who do we blame for this? You know, do we blame Devin? Because how many times do you have to tell somebody, this can happen to you? I can't believe people do this, but there are people who would blame the parents. You know, why were you not doing more to advocate for him when he was in pain? Or why were you not doing more to keep these devices out out of the house? There's people that love to blame law enforcement in a situation like this. In the article that I read this story, they mentioned that the person who sold Devin those pills is still selling pills. So Devin's mom, every once in a while, will see him in town still. Can you imagine that? How is that even possible? Another place that's pretty easy to point fingers are the social media companies themselves. And I don't know if you saw this a couple weeks ago. They had another one of those hearings where the, the Congress, the Senate brings people in and they yell at them in front of the cameras. They did another one of those. But... As they were yelling at the people, they had some really convincing cases to make. They brought in the CEOs from Meta, from TikTok, from all these these places. And the case they're making, not just with pills, human trafficking, child pornography, some of the stuff that was the most condemning were the internal memos that they that had people had leaked from the companies themselves. Like Meta's own internal research. So this isn't somebody else saying this. This is their own internal research. They didn't want anyone to know saying things like, we've interviewed our own people who take our own products and instances, people are, people are reporting higher levels of anxiety, higher levels of depression, all kinds of different forms of self-hate. One was really, really hit me hard. It was a stunning admission that they put a price on kids' heads. They've done this research to say, okay, if we get them hooked to our product by age, under the age of 13... We know how much they're worth to us. You know what the amount was? $270. We're going to do what we can to hook a kid because they'll be worth another $270 to us. And I remember in this this thing with the, the, the senators, our own senator from Minnesota, she brought up Devin 
And she brought up that case, and she made a really good point. She said, okay, you guys remember that story that just happened with the airplane? They're up in the air, 10,000 feet or whatever it was, door flies off. What did we do? We grounded the plane. That's what we did. And she says, you know, to the Facebook CEO, she goes, what, what are you doing? What are you doing to protect, protect people from harm? And she goes, I know why you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything because you're making so much money. So, are the companies to blame in a situation like this? I'll tell you where a lot of other fingers point. They point to the politicians who are holding these hearings. Because in recent memory, we've got situations where both parties have had the House and the Senate and the presidency. What have they done when they've had the opportunities to do more than just yell at people with the cameras on? What have they done? So, do you blame the politicians? But then, even as I was like, ooh, that would be a good one, I'm like, okay, who put them in office? So do we blame the voters? Do we blame us? You know? For (laughs) continuing to elect people who are really, really good at blaming others, but they're not able to bring people together to actually solve complex problems. So who do you blame? Which of the gatekeepers, in each of these situations, everyone's a gatekeeper, right, of what's coming in and out, which of the gatekeepers do you blame? Do you blame the Devon? Do you blame... His parents? Do you blame law enforcement? Do you blame the social media companies? Do you blame politicians? Do you blame us, the voters? So easy to blame others, isn't it? But let's go back to Devin's case. I mean, many of you are 30 and beyond in this room. How many of you who are 30 and beyond made your absolute best choices when you were a teenager? <laughs> There's no hands, in case you're wondering. There are zero hands going up in this room. Um, How many of you who are parents of teenagers say, oh, it is so easy to protect your kids from making bad decisions? How many of you? (laughs) If you know people in law enforcement, which many of us do, it is not easy. It is not easy to be in law enforcement. As far as with the politicians, it is not easy to pass legislation that goes against cultural headwinds. It's not easy for these companies that are trying to offer freedom of expression in their products to also limit all the people who are taking advantage of that freedom. And it's not easy for us, the voters, to elect great candidates when most of the people would be great candidates. They want nothing to do with such a broken system. I think accountability is a really, really important thing to talk about. And we're going to talk about that today because that's where today's scripture takes us. But... It takes us to a very different and much more helpful place than just trying to find out who's to blame. It does such a better job. So let's begin this conversation about accountability, wise and helpful decision-making by setting an important baseline. Here it is. If you're taking notes, we want to invite you to write this down. We are really, really good at making really, really bad decisions. Can I get an amen? We're really good at it. Are young people capable of making really, really bad decisions? Yes. Are parents capable of making really, really bad decisions? Yes. Are law enforcement professionals capable of making really, really bad decisions? Yes. Are politicians capable of making really, really bad decisions? Yes. Are all of us capable of making really, really bad decisions? Yes, we absolutely are. And there are several places in Scripture where the Bible said to a particular people in a particular time, everyone did what was right in, quote, their own eyes. Did that ever end well? When you see those words in Scripture, did it ever end well when we 
did what was right in our own eyes. No. We need help. We need help. All of us need help. When it comes to making wise decisions, and not only that, but then when it also comes to having the strength and conviction to live these decisions out, we need help. All of us. This Lent, what we're inviting us to do, everybody to do, is to seek help from Jesus of Nazareth himself and to get to know him better. There's so much that people say about Jesus. This Lent, what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at seven things that Jesus actually said about himself, recorded by an eyewitness in a first century document that we call the book of John. Here are the seven that we're going to be looking at this Lent. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate of the sh- to the sheepfold. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. Today, where we are in this journey is on this metaphor that Jesus used of a gate or a door with a gatekeeper. And it is so much more helpful to look at in context. So if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to open up with me to John chapter 9, even though we're going to be looking at 10. Just open up to John chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can go and download a free Bible app at Bible.com that is just outstanding. All right, so chapter 9, the reason I want to start there is when the book of John was written, it didn't have the chapter breaks. It didn't have the numbers that we have now. That That was added much later. And if we're going to focus on chapter 10, it's important to remember, this one is a continuation of chapter 9. This isn't, there are some times where the new chapter signals another thing. This is just part of the same instance, chapter 9 and chapter 10. It's all the same event um, unfolding. So what I want to invite you to do in chapter 9, scan it. Just, Just as I'm talking, just scan it. And as you scan it, you're going to see there's this man who's born blind. And then Jesus miraculously heals him. Obviously, what this does then is creates quite a buzz because there's this crowd around and they're seeing this person who they've known since birth. This guy was blind. Now he can see. It's got this big buzz happening. The man then who was born blind and got healed, he gets brought before these religious leaders called the Pharisees. And because Jesus had healed the blind man on the Sabbath, some of the Pharisees were like, hey, obviously... What happened here, this was not a man of God who did this because no man of God would heal somebody on the Sabbath. And they ended up eventually kicking this guy out of the the synagogue. As the story is unfolding, we come to see that people fear. They fear being on the wrong side of these religious leaders. So much so that this guy's parents, the parents of the guy who was born blind, they chose their words very carefully when they were brought before the Pharisees. Because they didn't want to say the wrong thing. And we get the narrative from John. It's like they were afraid of what could happen if they did, if they said the wrong thing. So even the parents were in fear here. So that's how chapter 9 ends. Remember this as we explore chapter 10. There's a blind man. He hears in his blindness. He hears Jesus' voice. He responds to it. And what happens? Now he can see. The blind man can see. He becomes a witness. And at the end of chapter 9, he's responding with heartfelt worship. In contrast to this guy who was once physically blind, you've got these religious leaders who are what? They're spiritually blind. They are absolutely blind to what's going on. And at the end of chapter 9, Jesus is calling them out for all this. So that's the context for chapter 10. I just got goosebumps as we're talking there. That's the context. This man who had heard and responded to Jesus, he's right there. So imagine this. The guy who just got healed, he's right there. And he's just like, 
worshiping Jesus. And then there's the Pharisees. They're right there too. And then there's a crowd. So imagine we're this crowd. What are we going to do with this? We're watching this. Jesus is going to respond to it. He's going to say, I got some things to say about this situation. We're there in the crowd. That's where it picks up. Now let's look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. This is what Jesus says. And this is the next verse. This is what comes next after all of this that I've just described. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus begins this whole thing by painting this picture. And Jesus, because he is Jesus and this master teacher, he picks an example. He wants to talk about something real life that everyone can relate to. And he picks this example that involves sheep and shepherds and sheepfolds. Sheep, if you go in the scriptures, they're mentioned more time than any other animal. This was very, very common. Um, common, you're going to find all around that world at that time. Very much a part of everyday life. Another thing that Jesus does, he contrasts shepherds with thieves and robbers. I didn't know this. Thieves and robbers um, in that time and that place and in Jewish law, they were two distinct categories. Two distinct categories. Thieves were the ones who would break in to your home and steal something that wasn't yours. The robbers, they were the ones, if you were away from home, they would ambush you, like in the, out in, on, on the road. All right, I think it's also worth noting here that Jesus specifically contrasts people with people. The reason I bring that up is sheep are vulnerable to all kinds of things, right? It's, especially in that, we're going to get into this more next, next week when we talk about the shepherd analogy. He's also woven in here. I mean, they can fall off these cliffs. Weather, I mean, sheep are the most vulnerable animals. We had one at home. They're really, really vulnerable. But but Jesus doesn't talk about any of that. He, he's, he's contrasting people with people here. So we need to narrow, zone in. That's significant. Contrasting the good shepherds with these thieves and these robbers. Here's another fun fact. Jesus opens with, truly, truly, I say to you. That's how it's in English. I'm a 55-year-old pastor. You know what I just found out this, this studying for this? Those What the words are in Greek that's translated truly, truly. Does anyone know in Greek? It's amen. Amen, amen. Would you see truly, truly in the book of John? It's amen, amen. I don't know why I think that's so cool, but I just think that's cool. Amen, amen, I say to you in the Greek. Amen, amen, I say to you. So how does Jesus start all this out? Amen, amen, I say to you. Then he gets into the story about sheep and gates and sheepfolds and all this kind of stuff. And everybody knew what Jesus was talking about when he talked about a sheepfold. Almost nobody had a barn in those days. I mean, you're not, you're not going to get all that much wood in Palestine and all that kind of stuff. Um, almost nobody had enough sheep to have this massive flock. And so, especially in a town, what you do if you had a couple sheep at night, you would all bring them to an area where one person would watch them. So maybe a courtyard or something. The one distinguishing feature is usually there would only be one opening. So if it's in town, maybe it's between a couple buildings, maybe there's a walled area. But all of these different people would bring their sheep together, and they'd all put them there, and then you'd have one person who was the gatekeeper watching over all those sheep at night. If you were out in the wilderness, maybe you'd find a cave, maybe you'd find a cliff, maybe you'd build a rock enclosure and put some thorns on top. 
But again, you'd have the one access point in and out for these sheep. And you would have a trusted shepherd who knows all the other shepherds and owners who would be stationed there at the opening to protect the sheep. Well, in the morning then, the individual owners would come to the sheepfold and then they would, as Jesus says here, they would go and they'd, they'd call for their sheep. And this is a real thing. Like sheep get to know people's voices. And some of them it would be, they would call them by name and the, the sheep would come, that's those sheep. The other ones would just keep doing whatever sheep would do. And then some people would have like a little flute or a little whistle and that was the signal. But you would come and your sheep knew your voice. So what Jesus is talking about here, that's a real, real thing. But if a stranger, if a stranger would somehow sneak in, one of these thieves or these robbers, the sheep would then flee from them because they don't know that one. They, they try to try to run away. And that's where Jesus goes next, verses 4 and 5. If you're following along. When he has brought out all of his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger... They will not follow. They'll flee from him. They don't know the voice of the strangers. Again, you can picture this. There's the pen. There's one way in and out. There's the door of the pen, and there's a gatekeeper who only lets you in if he recognizes you. And if you're a good shepherd, you don't drive the sheep out. You don't crack a whip. What, is, what, is, what do the sheep do? They, they follow you. They trust you. They know you. And so they'll follow you out. Here's another thing. There's so much going on in, in this passage. The words that John chose here, the Greek word that's translated in, in the, that I just read is brought out. It's the same word that was used in chapter 9 when it said that this guy who was blind gets cast out of the synagogue. So tell me Jesus isn't making a point here. Contrasting. Look at how you cast this person out. Now there's these sheep. They trust the shepherd. They're being brought out. Wow. Jesus is clearly making a point. But what just happens, Pharisees don't get it still. How do we know they didn't get it? Because verse six, verse 6 says they didn't get it. The figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he's saying to them. Now, instead of, okay, they don't get it, I'll just repeat myself and I'll say the same thing again. Jesus goes, let me really mess with them. I'm going to throw in another layer to all of this. So that's what he does. That's commentary that I just added there. What Jesus does next is interesting. Instead of going back and repeating what he just said about shepherds, he now adds a whole other layer. And it starts with, amen, amen. Verses 7 through 9. So Jesus said again to them, amen, amen, I say to you, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me, thieves and robbers. The sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out, find pasture. All right, so leading up to this, we just you were reading along with me. He had been implying that he was the good shepherd. But now instead of saying right here in this passage, I'm the good shepherd, he says, I'm the what? I'm the door. I'm the gate, is what he says. Implying, if you want in, where the kingdom of God is, where my sheep are, God's people, you want in, it's through me. Implying, if they're not listening to you, that's a good thing. Implying, I am a closed door to thieves and robbers. Implying, 
I'm an open door to those I recognize. This whole idea that Jesus can be both the shepherd and the door might sound weird to us, but that imagery in that time and that place made a lot of sense because guess who was typically the door of the sheepfold? It was the, it was the shepherd. They would stand there. They would sit there. At night, they would sleep there. They were often the door to the sheepfold. According to Jesus, good shepherds and the sheep enter through whom? Through him. That's the way in and out, through me. In biblical times, if you didn't get this um, note, if you want to write this down, biblical times, trustworthy shepherd often was the door to the sheepfold. Now, this was interesting too. If you read the rest of chapter 10, which I encourage you to do and which we're going to do next week, and if you have a good study Bible, you're going to discover this is happening right around Hanukkah. Now, that's interesting. This is the only time Hanukkah gets mentioned in the whole Bible. Because Hanukkah wasn't one of the festivals that God instituted. It came actually after the end of the Old Testament. It came after this horrible period where they had these horrible priests and things went all to pieces. And then these other people came in, these outsiders, strangers, if you will, came in and took over and desecrated the temple. And Anyway, it's one bad shepherd after another bad shepherd who didn't care about the sheep. This is happening right then. Man, Jesus, timing, history, all of that. All right, well, in the midst of all that context that I've given you, Jesus makes this statement, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. He says, I've come that you might have life. And what kind of life? Abundantly, abundantly. We just looked at what Jesus said. And for those with ears to hear, eyes to see, those in the crowd here, this is what he said. Let's respond to this. Here's a summary of the claim that Jesus had just made to this crowd. He said this. Jesus is the gateway. He is the gateway to abundant and eternal life. There were people in that crowd that had just actually witnessed a little glimpse of this, right? Because they watched what Jesus did healing this guy, healing this guy. And when I say that there's people that have witnessed glimpses of this, I know that's happened in this room too. I know so many of you have so many different stories of where you met God, saw God at work, glimpses of this kingdom breaking into our world. I mean, <laughs> there are, the man was filled with people who personally testify to the difference that it makes, the real, tangible, profound difference it makes when Jesus becomes the gatekeeper. When you're passing through him and everything the best of your ability is coming through him to you and it's coming out of you through him. We're coming and going in his name. It makes a profound difference. Profound difference. One of the reasons that we invest so much into these camps and retreats is because we want our young people to experience that as best as we can. One of the best ways to get that gatekeeper experience, we bring them away. We get them away where we can say, Devices are going away. Where anything that enters that camp, it's, it, we're going to do the best we can to say it's coming through Jesus. Authentically coming through Jesus. We spend crazy time investing in our preparations. We're, we want to prepare. One of the, the things with our church, we want to prepare for that weekend. Like we are preparing, we are bringing something before the King of Kings. We don't want to give any less than our best. Why would we do that, right? So we do our absolute best to prepare with everything we got. 
And then when we get up there, let's do our best to try to live as he taught us to live. Treating one another the way he taught us to treat one another. Having him be about everything that we do. Our meals, our games, our time in our dorms. Have everything as best we can. We do things that they say you can't do anymore. How many institutions have given up? How many gatekeepers have given up on saying we just can't have students put away their devices? Schools. Schools are giving up on that. Places of employment. They're giving up on it. How many times have you been go to check out? The clerk is doing this. People are giving up. We, you put the devices away. You know how many complaints? We had 140 people up at camp? 141? How many, how many complaints I heard about, I can't have my device? Zero. They were experiencing something better. Put away the devices. We have high standards. We tell middle school boys who are super hungry, we're going to let the ladies go first. Because we want to try to model something different that, that, that the world isn't modeling. We try to hold these high standards. We do the best we can. I got the evaluations here, and you're all welcome to fact check me on this. I have not edited any of them. I've not taken any of them out. The markings there are some references, some things I want to try to do better next time. All kinds of you, you guys can fact check me on this. We have like a scale of one to ten. What did you think of the weekend? Ten, eleven, a million, hundred billion. <laughs> got on this one. What would you do to improve the camp? Make it longer. Make it longer. What did you love about the camp? The community. People were kind to me. These leaders. Of course, the games, because we go crazy on these games. You know what? Probably the most common thing? The communion service. That's what they're saying. Here was interesting, too. In light of this, I can't plan this, right? In light of this, we, one of the things that we say with our camps, I know pranks are, are common at camps. Why? Why? You know, we, we say we're not going to do pranks. Somehow there must have been some kind of prank that happened because a couple of our students wrote like a comment on that. Here's what's interesting to me about that. They knew it didn't belong there. They knew some thief, some robber had come in, who, who a stranger to the way we do camp. And had done some sort of prank. And they, they could tell this, this isn't right. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Maybe normal. At other camps, other settings. That's not okay when our gateway is Jesus. At each of our sessions, we had a skit. And the skit told a story, an unfolding story over the course of the weekend. And because we're trying to be like Jesus, we're trying to connect this story to their lives. That's what Jesus is doing here, right? We're trying to connect this story to their lives. So within this storyline, there's bullying. Within this storyline, there's peer pressure. Within this storyline, there's things about woven into there, how devices can distract us. And the first couple, first couple sessions, Friday night, Saturday morning, it's funny, it's lighthearted, and then comes communion service, and all these storylines start to come to a head. And it's not so funny anymore. And these characters, these, these lovable goofballs, they've been really hurt by social media. They've been really hurt by all of these things, and they're starting to realize it. So all these storylines are coming to a head. Because in that skit, there were people that were acting like thieves and robbers. 
They were trying to come into the camp and trying to distract and trying to hurt and try to try to take away that experience from them. One of these characters that was trying to do that was a character named Nathan. And the story kept building towards this communion service, and there's this scene then at the communion service where Nathan and his friends are met with unexpected grace. There was a chance for these characters who they had hurt to hurt them. And they said, no, because it's something that happened to us in this room last year. And here's what really got me. I'm getting choked up I'm even remembering this, but um, what really got me is, I mean, I wrote this skit, <laughs> so I know it's coming, but they, they added something. So as, as these, these people are met with this unexpected grace, they're invited, hey, at some point, if you want to come up and we had a cross right there, if you want to come and, and just spend some time by this cross, as the song is playing about, those are my nails, that was, those are my thorns, that was my cross. And so, so a couple characters from the skit slowly make their way there. Nathan is left alone. Nathan starts to walk out of the room. He turns and he comes back. And I stepped up and I'm like, I'm kind of doing this as I stepped up. Because the person that was playing that role, and I asked if I could share this, his name's Cam, Camden. That could have been him. That, that could have been Camden just walking away. But Camden, at one of these camps and retreats, and over the course of all these people in this church family who love him and believe in him and see there's a better way for you in and through Jesus, Camden in real life had done that. Wow. And then we watched as we then stepped down and gave this invitation and as the worship band played, you know what happened at that same cross? That floor, concrete floor, ended up getting filled with students who were sitting, kneeling, bowing for the cross. And they were there till the end of the service, weren't they? Till, till we were done. They were there. There was something they were experiencing at this camp when we put Jesus as the gatekeeper and we did our best as shepherds who are following him, we did our absolute best to say, we want to try to have whatever comes in and comes out. We want it to be about Jesus. There was something there that, that was they could sense that made them say, I want this. I, I, he is the way. I, I, I want that. As we begin to bring today's teaching to a close, can you imagine this with me? I invite you to write this down. Imagine a world where more good shepherds were stationed at more doors. Can you imagine that? Imagine a world where more young people were saying, I'm going to be a gate, gatekeeper to my life. I'm going to say, Jesus, what's coming in and what's going out, I want that to be of you. With my devices, with my room, with my entertainment choices. Imagine if more young people were doing that. Do you know there was a person who went back, one of these middle schoolers, they went back to Destino. I was talking to Mauricio, and he said, you won't believe what happened. I said, tell me. He goes, one of our kids came back. They, they went to their room. They picked up their devices. They brought them to their mom. said, I want you to take these. I need to spend more time with her. Wow. Imagine if more young people were doing that, how that could make a difference. Imagine if more parents were saying, it's going to be hard, but by God's grace... I'm going to be the gatekeeper of my example that I'm setting. Because how often do we see people, it's later in life, that they come back? At the time, they're like, I hate your rules. And all that. You know, 
I'm going to do the best I can to set an example. No matter what happens to me, no matter what other people do to me, I'm going to do the best I can to have Jesus be, you know, Lord of that, my choices, our family, our home. Imagine a world then in every one of those other situations, every level of society. Imagine as more people go into law enforcement or their gatekeepers, Jesus. Politics, their gatekeepers, Jesus. Business, their gatekeepers, Jesus. To as much as it depends on them in their situation, wherever they have authority, I'm going to have that be Jesus. Would our world be a better place? Would our world be a worse place? If more of us were doing that. What better time than Lent? What better time than now for us to reflect on these things? And so today I want to invite you to do two things. Number one, if you've never bowed your head and your heart to the gate, if you've never said yes to Jesus, what a great time to do that right now. And we'll be praying to that end. We'll say, Jesus, may you become Lord of my life. May everything that comes in, may everything that come out be of you. Come in, transform me, change me. We're going to pray that. And here's number two. I'm going to guide you in a prayer about these, the next thing on your sheet there. I put down, what are three doors on your Lenten restoration list? Sorry, I couldn't find a way to sound less cheesy. You know, so I tried. But pray about what in my area, like where are my doors needing some fixing? You know, with the gatekeeper. With your device. Who's the gatekeeper for your device? Are you just like letting in whatever recommendations people give you? Or is it like, no, Jesus, be my filter here. Your entertainment choices. What is your, who's your gatekeeper? Well, whatever, whoever gets a five-star, whatever, you know, review, whatever my friends recommend, that's your gatekeeper? Or is it being like, no, is this God honoring or not? When it comes to your relationships, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to whatever, when it comes to your teams, when it comes to your home, when it comes to your room, try to think of three. What are three areas where like, I need the new door. I need Jesus to be that door, not this other broken down door that I have. Does that make sense? So let me pray to those to that end, and then we're going to seal this time with a song. God, thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you that you've given us these powerful examples. Instead of just waving a finger at us and saying, here's what you should do, you give us this story. And it's a story within a story. We get to see this example of you working in these wonderful ways, people rejecting that, and then you tell them the story about sheep and sheepfold. We're so thankful, God, that you're a good shepherd that your desire is not to whip us and get behind us and, and drive us like cattle. But you're out there. You're speaking. And those who hear you, we follow. And thank you, God, that you desire to lead us to green pastures and still waters. Lord, it's hard. I mean, it's so hard sometimes to follow you, but boy, it is so good. So Lord, right here, right now, those who have never bowed their head and heart to you, we pray that they would do that, that your Holy Spirit would come into their life, give them the vision of what it could be if they received you and were born again, with their mind becoming your mind, their heart becoming their, your heart, for them to be able to see the world the way you see it, for your spirit to inform their conscience and their thoughts, for your word to come alive, for words that are spoken to them to be able to be filtered through your Holy Spirit. We pray that right here, right now, people would do that, wherever they are, wherever they're watching or listening. And Father, we pray specifically too that you would give us three doors, three doors in our lives that could use a better gatekeeper. 
Lord, it might be a, a door for something for us personally or a door that we are, we have authority over that protects our team or our church or our small group or our home. Or give us three that we can trust to you as we begin to trust you with everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.